my recent my recent trip to Walmart, man, I found some goodies, man. I, I, I found that town set. Like, the town, the ultimate collector set, that big box. I could yeah. not believe I found that in Walmart. I was... Wal- Walmart is a very eclectic place. It's... Especially of, recently. Yeah, it's like you never know what you're going to find there. And sometimes you can find some real gems, and it really all depends on which Walmart you go to. You know, some are better than others. I know all the ones around me right now have uh, just degenerated their movie section yeah. down to barely one aisle of nothingness. No more, you know, big bargain bins that you can just sift through for like an hour. No more like you yeah, know, the TV Blu-ray, shows, the Blu-ray bin nothing. was like the shit back in the day. That was oh that was yeah, my favorite thing was going through the Blu-ray bin. Um, now they don't even have a Blu-ray bin. It's just a DVD bin and. I don't give. I don't buy DVDs anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> particularly care about them. <laughs> they the, don't. The, the, now, the thing I do, they do keep in stock is like old TV shows. That's their best thing. Is like Shock, you can... shockingly, mine don't even do that anymore. Really, it's like even some of my Target stores don't even do that anymore. Target stores used to have a pretty decent TV yeah, show. Yeah, the Targets section. are looking pretty pathetic now. Yeah, very bare. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah, and it really is unfortunate for people like us who like to go out and do a little hunting trip yeah we, or i was gonna say to as we call the hunt yeah yeah <laughs> that used to be one of my favorite aspects of collecting and now it's getting to the point of just continued frustration at nothing yeah um initially we were gonna go into our um you know academy award recap because we talked so much about the academy awards yeah but i'd say right now is it since we're talking about the okay. degradation of physical media. I might as well jump into something I discovered recently, and it's going to get a little economic-y, So please bear give, with. Give me. me the numbers, Andrew. I'm give ready. me the numbers. Okay, so <laughs> there's this website called Digital Entertainment Group, and they had this kind of year-end economic assessment of the year of 2018. 2018 just ended. We're in 2019 now. We're actually in March now, which is kind of crazy to me. But basically, the numbers are like this. So when it comes to kind of all of the, um, you know, purchasing of home entertainment video of last year, whether it be streaming, physical media, rentals, all that kind of stuff, added up to $23.3 billion, which is actually up 11.5% from 2017. So that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, that's great. But the oh, what's the, the bad news, Andrew? The bad it's not bad news. <laughs> it's just interesting trending news that we keep yeah. bringing up here on the Cinema Discovery Project, is that the subscription streaming services are kind of the big ones. Yeah. Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu being the you know the big the big kahunas, the big fish in that area. They had they uh they made up thirty percent of that entire amount of money. Wow. Uh, which was about $12.9 billion. Mm. And and that's just through streaming service money, just getting that in. But there's also people who bought and rented movies because sometimes people do yeah. that. You can do that on Vudu or Amazon Prime, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. That accounted for an, uh, another $4.55 billion wow. worth of money. So if you add, you know, if you add those two together... You get, you know, over seventeen billion dollars of this twenty-three billion dollar pie, if you will. Yeah. And 
and you you must say, well, how much did physical media get? You know, 4K, Blu-ray, and all that kind of stuff, TV show sales. That only accounted for $4.03 billion, which is a 14.6% drop from last year. Wow. And I bring that up because we've talked about physical media and how it's going downhill. We just talked about, you know, how the stores aren't, you know, stacking the shelves with them anymore. And you're seeing that slowly, you know, take a toll over the overall market of home entertainment. You're seeing the trending switching from physical media to streaming and renting. Well, so just, much, yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is it, it, you know, I mean, I'm in, you know, I work for Pepsi, and I'm in sales, so I kind of understand there is a, a little bit of a difference when, 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 like, a, a, like for instance, these targets or these Best Buys that are cutting back in general, because they cut back in general, that means that the that the overall numbers are going to look less just on that basis. Right. You know, like when when a store orders a bunch of movies, they own them movies until they decide to take them back. You know, so yeah, they, the they numbers for the year look cushier, even if eventually they have to take back the movies anyway. Um, so when they're not ordering as many movies now, overall, it just because of the cutbacks, it's looking less. Right. Um, so it's been I a just, dramatic change, definitely. Yeah. And I just want to say that I got this, you know, I got this from a friend uh, that I'm on Facebook with who posted it this past week. Um, I just want to give him credit. Robert Meyer Burnett, who yeah. has been deep into like the physical media movie collecting since like the 1980s with like Laserdisc and all that kind of stuff. So he's like an old school um, collector and he knows his stuff. But I did check like the website and check the numbers to make sure, you know, he wasn't just, you know, making things up and he wasn't. It's it's all there in a PDF file you can get on their website. And it was just fascinating to see that that is what that is what's happening now. And like Stephen and I have said several times, is that we are some we are people who do both. Yeah. We stream as well as buy physical media. Our preference is physical media, but we don't denigrate the streaming game no, or any no, of no. that kind of stuff. There's a lot of great things about streaming. Um, the obviously convenience factor, and and uh, you know spe- specifically with TV shows. You know, TV yes. you know is such a an expensive part of the physical media game that sometimes you d- you don't want to buy it all, um, and no. sometimes you want to check it out before you do buy it. So you get on there, jump on there, you can, and and the binge watching of it. You know, you, you can binge yes. watch something, and that's great. But for us, you know, it's not only just we, that we find that the quality is better. Um, but that there's a so we like the the certain the, the ownership of it. You know, we like to be able to you know hold it in our hands. You know, we, you know we're we're bec- we're becoming old school in that way. It's like people that love vinyl. You know, they like right. certain that being able to have the artwork and the and that stuff is a, is part of the experience of of having seen the movie. Yeah, it's very yeah. much a source of pride for me that I've mentioned you know several times. Yeah. Um, it is you know difficult to collect physical media just because you know, having the space to accommodate it is problematic. Sure. And also... But that's a choice um, you make. That's a choice yeah, you make as a collector. Also, I mean, it's a- yeah, and also it can be more expensive. You know, you know, paying... I mean, what is interesting is that Netflix just upped their monthly subscription service by $2, but it's still relatively affordable compared to, you know, buying movies individually yeah. or buying TV shows individually. Um, I know, I think mine went up couple of dollars as well because i have the middle the middle tier one 
there's the higher tier one where you can stream in 4K and yeah. you can have like four people watching at the same time. Yeah, my, I have the our, middle one. Mine went up too, but um, I don't pay for mine, so. Oh, hey now. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna uh, say whose it is. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna give away anybody, that yeah. name. I know. Um, coincidentally, Hulu actually went down in price, so I guess they're like trying oh. to balance each other out. <laughs> they're just. It's just. It's Disney's like trying to bring more people in, so that then they can jack the price up. Oh, what I did hear yeah, also through the. Do. What I did just hear recently is that Disney is looking to buy uh, Warner Media's stake in Hulu out. So oh. since they just bought um, 20th Century Fox, um, they get all of what 20th Century Fox owned. And 20th Century Fox owned about 40% of Hulu. So Disney, of course, you know, gets all that stuff now. Yeah. And now they just want to buy Warner Media's portion of whatever they own of Hulu I guess so they can basically own it, you know, more than fifty percent own it outright. Yeah. Because Warner Media, as we've learned, is going to be launching their own streaming service later this year. So they're not gonna need a contract with Hulu anymore. They might yeah. as well make some money off of it. And Disney is taking over with launching their own service. They as already well. got rid of Filmstruck, so you know <laughs> They did. They did. Already cutting dead weight as it is. That is very true. I still miss it every day. I still haven't deleted the we apps we off of my yeah, I, media me either. Stuff. We only got what, like another month, a little over a month, to uh, before the Criterion Channel gets launched. Yes, Criterion is launching their own streaming service, yeah. a la Filmstruck, and it's coming out in April. And 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 right there is an example of why is is, is something streaming that we do love. I mean, like that that right there is a great resource um, because as as we said, we can't get everything we want on physical media. So uh, the Criterion Channel can provide us with something that nobody else can. I mean, it's right. And even the streaming services that are out there can't pro- won't provide it for us because it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not for the mass audience. You know, it's so that, a you niche know, audience, as niche. they said in their um, press release BS yeah. nonsense thing, um, <laughs> where they like just told us we to are part basically of the, told we are the little people. Yeah, I know. They we basically don't told matter. us to go screw ourselves. <laughs> uh, but that brings us into our next thing that I want to discuss before we get into the overall general topic of this episode is uh we all know Steven Spielberg. Steven, do you know Steven Spielberg? He he is he is one of my favorite directors. Yes. I he, I, I love Steven Spielberg. Would yes. you say he's a well-known person? He's you know, he did some movies. He did some <laughs> he movies did, through the years. He did. Well, Steven Spielberg, it came out this week is going to be talking to the Academy board at their next meeting about excluding Netflix films from being eligible for Academy Awards. Yeah. And that is a very interesting uh, concept because right now the Netflix films, I think, are picking up a lot of steam when it comes to award season consideration, specifically yeah. with Roma, which won several Oscars at this past year's ceremony, which yeah. happened a week ago or so. It, they... It won Best Director, it won Best Cinematography, it won Best Foreign Film. Um, it's It was definitely a critical and award season darling. And Steven Spielberg's seeming rationale behind that is that the Netflix films or the Netflix productions are missing the quote-unquote theatrical experience. And that's such a broad and I think loose term. Yeah. Because as long for me, as long as the Netflix films... You know, follow the qualifications that you need to follow when it comes to being uh, qualified for an Academy Award. They should be eligible. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of smaller films that get the same release as I mean, they they've been having to follow them the qualifications. They have to have a limit at least a limited release. Um and Roma had a limited release in theaters. Um Yeah, Roma and, and, had a longer release than some other you know, films that were put out. Think, the, think about something like Phantom way. Thread a couple years ago. That barely was in, like, Silence was barely in theaters. You know, and yeah. that, that's, I mean, you don't hear Spielberg yelling at, you know, Scorsese about his film. <laughs> you know, like. Coincidentally, um, Scorsese's, Scorsese's got next a, film is yeah. a Netflix film. Yeah. And it's coming out, we heard, right in the awards season window. And yeah. it's going to get a theatrical release as well as being released on Netflix. And what. I don't think people realized about Roma is that Roma came out in theaters before it was released on Netflix, and it, and it had a, and it had a festival and it. it had a festival run. Yeah, it had a festival run. So but I saw. Steven, I mean, I saw it. it. I saw it in theaters at the festival. So it's it, it, that means it played in theaters. I mean, it's in yes. theaters. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as it follows those guidelines, I think the those films should be eligible. And yeah. his other rationale is these. These are these are more like TV movies than they are theatrical films, so therefore they should only be eligible for Emmys and I would you would say you know Golden Globes as well because they have TV show awards, which I think is a load of nonsense. These films that are being made by places like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, they have you know full film production behind them, full budgets. Yeah. Full crews, full people working behind the scenes. These are movie productions. You know what I mean? And I think we have to, as people, as an audience viewing, as cinephiles, we have to kind of understand that the way of distribution is shifting greatly when it comes to yeah. movies. Specifically movies that were, you know, just theatrical um, expositions before. They're now different. And to fight back against it, I don't know if he's doing it to preserve some sense of, you know... Traditionalism. Traditional, traditionalism or some sense of, you know, these movies, you know, movies need to be preserved in some way, being put on some type of pedestal. And I'm like, that's kind of, you know, nonsensical to me. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, we had a whole episode of Back to yeah, Back early on talking about streaming versus, you know, physical and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, this is something Spielberg's kind of been, you know, bringing up throughout the last couple of years, and now it seems he's really just—he's had—he's had it. He's gonna come. He's gonna talk to the board about it and stuff. See, it, look, I—I'm I, still gonna love Spielberg. I still think he—I mean, he's definitely an advocate for. I can't speak. Can you say it for me? Ad, advocate. Advocate. The devil's advocate. Uh, great movie with uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, but uh, he's definitely. Pro, you know, he, he I, I like that he's an old-fashioned guy. I mean, I love people that shoot on film. I, I love that. I love that he's trying to keep that alive. But he's also trying, he's belittling something just because I think he's maybe scared. That, Could you be. Know, you know, there's some fear there. I don't think it has any, because, I mean, to me, this sh- shouts to me that you're you're trying to squash the little people. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody, like, everybody should be able to make a movie and it should be able to get to the wide, like, it's not everybody should, it's like Ratatouille, you know, <laughs> Ratatouille, not everybody should be a cook, but anybody could be a cook. That is you know, true. You know, you know, so everybody should be able to have the chance, but it doesn't mean everybody should be able to show their movies on the biggest stage. Yeah, uh, not you know. Uh, yeah, not every Netflix film is going to be nominated for yeah, Oscars and, 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 and that's and that's it's a the select way, few. And it's you know? the way he's reacting to it makes it sound like that. That's 
what's happening and it's not you know he, they pick a few movies that they want to push just like a studio does you know and th- as long as it's a fucking great movie then what does it matter you know i mean do do i think it, they should at least be shown in theaters limited wise yes i think they're if that's the criteria that the oscars want is that they want to be able to want it to have at least a limited run then i think they should they should do that cuz i don't I, I don't think that just because Netflix wants their movies to win awards, that everybody should have to bend to them. You know, no. that's the, the world does that too much. If they have a criteria for getting uh, becoming a nominee, then they should follow it. You know, right. there's no reason why they shouldn't. They just don't want to spend the money to get into it. They don't want to, to spend me, the money to put it in theaters. Yeah, to me, Netflix is kind of a, is shifting into another distribution company for a lot of films that are looking for distribution. Well, they, um, they and the thing is, is they want their cake and eat it too. They want, right. they don't want to have to put their movies in theaters, but they also want to be accepted for, you know, for Academy Awards. Yeah, and I mean, that's you, not what they, a, and, and that's not what the the Academy wants the movies in the theaters at least for a little bit. You know. Yeah, the, the, there is an extra cost to that that they obviously don't want to have to pay because I don't know if people are aware of this, but Netflix is like they're like deficit spending when it comes to what they their model of economics oh, yeah. they spend like billions and trillions of dollars the thing on is, is you production think, and stuff they the, don't make that back the thing is is for for something like the oscars they you know they're they're part of hollywood which hollywood right. puts a lot of the, most of their movies in theaters and the theaters need to make money yes if they're letting somebody in that doesn't make them money they don't want them a part of their biggest show of the year oh yeah money is a huge factor yeah. in hollywood um which brings us to, I guess we could transition from that now into a little Academy Awards recap. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We had this. What it's been? It's been a week since the Academy Awards. We didn't do an episode last week because we were like, oh, we'll just take a week off. It's, it's a holiday. The, it's a film. It's, it's a the film Academy Awards holiday. Yeah, yeah. We we watched it. I watched the whole ceremony, and of course, we voiced our concerns going into it. You know, it was going to be a hostless Oscars. Which actually ended up being one of the best aspects of I it th- was I think having that, that host. was the best thing about the Oscars this year was that <laughs> it moved a lot faster. You didn't have kind of like some meandering jokes that just went on way too long. Um, you had a variety of people come on stage. Some that were kind of weird to be there. Yeah. Um, like Tom Morello from you know Rage Against the Machine was there. <laughs> yeah, we gotta talk about that. But <laughs> we gotta we gotta talk about one having no host uh, sped up the time, even though it ended. It still it, it ended kind of late, but it was definitely like like forty five minutes shorter than. It oh yeah, is. it was like yeah, at least fifteen twenty. Minutes. Yeah, because it, it ended a, like eleven like fifteen or so yeah. Eastern time. Yeah, Eastern time because we're on the East Coast over here, um, and it, but it moved quicker. It yeah. felt faster. The pacing was better. There was no gimmicky jokes that slowed the thing down. You know, no, there was no opening monologue. the The actual opening monologue was just a quick performance by Queen. Yeah, which I guess was the best way to open the show. I mean, get everybody's guess, energy yeah. up. I mean, that's not that's not bad. That's not a bad way to start. Um, and then you know the awards were handed out pretty quickly, pretty efficiently. There were a lot of people who once they got up there, they kind of froze. They kind of you know during the headlight were situations. not as good on the on the mic as others. And I I understand it's a it's literally a world stage. You know, there's millions of people yeah. watching. It's a, it's a career. It's a live moment. event. It's a live event. Yeah, it's a live event. You don't really. I think they did the have a little bit of a delay, though. I think they said that that's what they did, just in case. Is there it, was a, I mean, there was a slight delay on per, I mean, just in case there was something they had to cover up. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, they always do that. Live live sports, live anything yeah. now, just in case something happens, uh, you know, streakers or whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs> just in uh, case of an Oscar flub at the end where they say the wrong movie. Yeah, yeah or yeah. like somebody swears and they can bleep it out, which they had to do a couple of times. Yeah. They had to do a couple of times. I'm pretty sure a couple of winners they had to bleep out. Um, they, what else happened? Um, Spike Lee finally got an Oscar for yeah, right. Best... Yeah. Best original screenplay? No, best adapted. adapted it was yeah. best adapted. Um, and <laughs> we could keep talking about Spike Lee. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, at the at the end, he went a little a little nutty. Yeah, a little he, got, he got he got really upset, and he tried um, to leave. And then yeah, he... there was some surprises <laughs> winning. Oh man, Stephen, dude, how he, did he should... how, I'm just gonna say this? How did Bohemian Rhapsody win for best editing I, when it has you, one of the worst I keep edited having sequences conversations in any with people movie. about this? And I just, I just, there's no explanation. There's no, I don't, no. I don't get it. I mean, no. I, I've heard it from other people that the editing, I, I hear some people like, oh, the editing was cool. And then I hear other people that are like, what the fuck were they thinking? Like me and you. Like, yeah, I, like, like I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm questioning whether I understand the editing process in movies now. Like, did I sure, miss something? Were, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple scenes in the movie where I think that it's got some cool editing between when they're recording the songs and then when it goes to the stage, but that's about it. Yeah, the transition, that last transitions. I'm talking like cutting within the scene. Yeah, and, and it's about there's how that... they, te- editing's about how they tell the story too. Right. It's not, it's the... not just about cool transitions. Yeah. There's the one scene that keeps getting shared on Twitter and social media in general, where it's the scene where they meet uh, Aiden Gillen, the actor Aiden Gillen, yeah, his yeah. character who's like a record producer or something like that, or like a manager or something, and when they're just trying to start out as Queen, and it's one of the most over edited. Like there's a there's like a cut to this person, cut to that person, cut to this person, and yeah. you're like, there's no need for this at all. <laughs> it's just it's obviously over-edited. they're covering up something that they didn't get in one Either shot the, or two shots. Maybe they're just trying to get reaction shots from everybody in the band because I guess. Well, you you, know, you brought whatever. this up too. You brought this up too. The guy that shot most of the movie did not help put it together. Yeah, there was literally no director in post production for this. So you movie. don't know. They don't know exactly what the intentions were with certain scenes. They just right. put it together the way they thought it should be and, put together. I mean, all props to you know John Ottman, who who is the the editor who um, won the Oscar. Yeah. But he, like he had to put this movie together with. Well, no that, one telling him what the how this movie was supposed to look, and who, you know? and, and I don't even think the guy that took over was available either because Dexter was it Fletcher, Ru- yeah, yeah, he was off doing the Elton John movie, yeah, Rocket Man, which is <laughs> having a a big you know pre movie release push right now. Which I want to see, cool. I want to see that one. That that I one do looks better. See it it yeah. really, it yeah. People are saying that because uh, Elton John came out the other day and said, you know, Taron Egerton is actually singing, not like Rami Malek. And well, he's already Rhapsody. did some live performances. <laughs> He has. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. And, and he sounds great. He sounds great, yeah. But, well, I mean, we also had musical performances during the ceremony. Yeah. Uh, the big one, obviously, being Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Uh, the chemistry's uh, there, man. It's the there, it's real. The people lost their goddamn minds <laughs> while watching that. I did. <laughs> I was losing my goddamn mind. <laughs> I was sitting yeah. there, and I was just like, the shallow. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I was singing with him, and I was like, God damn it, Bradley Cooper's so good looking. He but yeah, and he's singing and everything. And Lady Gaga got her Oscar for best original song, which we all knew. Yeah, um, she acted like she wasn't going to get it, but she got it. Yeah, because yeah, she literally <laughs> won it at every other awards, including the Grammys. But yeah. still, it's a you know, it's a it's a big moment for her. Sure, so sure, no, it's a big deal. congratulations Definitely. to her. Um, some other interesting winners. Um, Olivia Coleman. 
Olivia Coleman was a surprise, although yeah. I wanted her to win. I thought I, she was amazing. Yeah, I, mean, she, I mean, I didn't see The Wife, but I heard Glenn Close was fantastic. Um, I've seen The Wife, and Glenn Close literally carries that movie herself. Yeah. She's the best part of that movie. She's better than the movie. Her performance is better than the actual movie. But I'm glad to see Olivia Coleman win because the favorite didn't get much love during it didn't the get, awards. When it got nominated a lot, but it didn't win anything other yeah, than Olivia Coleman. Yeah, it got Coleman. a lot of nominations. Um, and what, a movie that got shot shut out was Vice. Vice yeah. didn't win anything. Which is um, fine with me because I, I thought the movie was okay. But Yeah, I don't know why that was up for best editing only thing, only thing was the best actor award. That was, that was what, yeah. Yes, which, you know, let is a bit of a trending topic while watching the ceremony is Bohemian Rhapsody picked up Four. quite a few Oscars. And some of them, like we said, a little head the scratching sound, here. They got both sound awards. Which I literally tweeted out, nobody voting knows what sound mixing or sound nobody, editing is. Yeah. All they did all they did in their mind probably was like Oh, it's oh, a movie about music. So yeah, the sound's gotta be great. Not only that, but it's like, oh, I like Queen. Queen's music sounds amazing. I guess it's going to sound amazing in this movie. Yeah. Check mark. You know what I mean? That's an easy one. That's an easy one. Rami Malek winning for Best Actor wasn't a surprise to no, me it's because he's been winning no. pretty regularly throughout yeah. all of the award shows. And he had a great speech. He was really good. I like yeah, yeah, I mean, I and everybody kind of, you know, we've said our piece about Bohemian Rhapsody. People on the internet have said their piece about Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, the movie is a flawed, flawed movie. And I don't really blame Robbie Malik for, you know, getting all these awards. I mean, he went out there and he performed the role that he signed up to perform and all that kind of stuff. Um, But best picture winner is the hot, hot bed (laughs) issue of the award ceremony. When it happened, I kind of freaked out a little bit. I, I, I messaged Steven right away, yeah. and I think my message was, this is the new crash moment, or something <laughs> like that, because this may be the worst Best Picture winner in some time. It, and I'm saying that in a broad spectrum, just Maybe. like quickly looking at, the, at least in recent memory. I mean, I would say, I would say um, you know, I mean, it just really depends on what... I mean, obviously, it really depends on if you, how much you like the movie. I know you didn't like the movie that much. I mean, I, I like the movie. Um, I do yeah. understand the criticisms of the film. Right. I don't um, hate the movie like no, some No, 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 no. But I don't think it's better than the other films it was No, there was, there was only with. three other movies that were better than that movie. Yeah, um, like at least Black Klansman would have been my favorite over... Uh, of course, Roma was our favorite. We wanted Roma to win. Um, but once it won Best Foreign Film, I kind of started to think that it was not going to win both. Yes, um, I kind of had that feeling as well. And they did something interesting during the ceremony is when they introduced each film, each film before, you know, they gave out the award. They brought out different presenters, some odd, like we mentioned. Yeah. Um, Queen Latifah did uh, The Favorite, yeah. I guess because, you know, her name's Queen and the movie's about a queen. Sure, yeah. I mean, they brought out Mike Myers and Dana Carvey for Bohemian Rhapsody. That was that great. makes sense. Yeah. Um, they brought out, didn't they bring out Serena Williams for... It was uh, a Star was, is Born. Was it Serena? Yeah, it was Serena. Yeah, for a Star is Born, I believe. I think so. Yeah, and they brought out those two chefs for Roma, which was a little <laughs> odd to me. But okay, and the one girl from The Hate You Give and that one guy, the politician. Well, that was, I think that that was what I was going to say. John yeah. Lewis, who yeah. for those of you who don't know who John Lewis is, he's a congressman from the state of Georgia, and he marched with Martin Luther King during yeah. the civil rights movement. He was there when it happened. His was, when, his, his when was they brought the roughest. Him out, 
uh, yeah. of this of the the talks. Not even roughest, but when I heard it, I'm like, oh, okay, Green a uh, Green Book's probably going to win. Yeah, because you don't bring him out. You don't you don't have someone like him present that movie and talk about its well, importance and its you know importance you know in commenting on racism at that time. Well, the and thing I is, is like, that, okay, but that could have that, that could, could have been Black Klansman. You know, I mean, I thought he was going to do Black Klansman. I mean, that's, I, the, that's the thing is that you know, being that it was for the best picture, it, he could have been talking about a, a few of the movies. Honestly, um, I thought it was going to be Black Klansman because I think Black Klansman is like a movie that's talking about racism in yeah. both you know the time in which it came in which the movie is set and now and there's still a fight happening there and you yeah. you have John Lewis who was somebody who was literally around back then and literally around now still fighting that fight yeah. and i was like that makes sense but instead they went with it went with Barbara Streisand to do Black Klansman <laughs> and i was like interesting which, which it was it's, interesting but it was kind of cool you know they had that moment where Streisand was commenting about, you know, stuff, and then you see Spike Lee having fun because he just won his Academy Award. He was, like, all high on, on you know, the fact that he just won finally well, after all these years. And, and she, uh, yeah. He was having, that was the moment he was having fun. And it was yeah. great to see Spike Lee not sitting there just thinking about killing people, uh, the whole, you know, like <laughs> wow. what he always looks like. He looks or like being, he's thinking about killing somebody. Or, or, um, or being at, the you know, the Knicks games, watching them lose, like, over and over again yeah, yeah. this year. But then at but, the end, he just completely just uh really he did but the reason why i guess i don't know why they chose her maybe because uh she did mention like the what you were just referencing is that um she's grew up in brooklyn and spike lee grew up in brooklyn they're both from that borough of new york so that was kind of their tie it kind of reminded me of if you if i don't know if you know this um but back back when the year of do the right thing came out um what's her name the act um 1989. Uh, yeah, well, I know the year, but no. like the actress, um, uh, Kim Basinger, the year that of that Oscars, she actually came out and said like there was one uh, there was one movie that didn't get nominated this year that should have been, and she said do the right thing. She came right. out and actually said it in the, in during the awards like off script. Um, uh, which it was probably pretty awesome. should have been nominated because that was the year Driving Miss Daisy won, which is the ironic, which has kind of been the running joke about this year that. Green Book is very similar in that sense of like somebody driving somebody else, that kind of yes. driver. And Spike Lee even said he's like, it's, it's anytime there's a guy driving somebody, I lose. <laughs> it's yeah, it's you know a a role reversal, you know a race, yeah, it is definitely, a racial definitely. reversal, you know. In Driving Miss Daisy, it was a an African American chauffeur <laughs> driving an older an elderly woman, and they became friends. In yeah. Green Book, it's a white italian american chauffeur and a african american you know it's a white it's yeah white italian american chauffeur and a black african american you know and, person that and is driving. homosexual yes yeah homosexual <laughs> as well which is something they touched on a little bit in the movie not yeah, really a yeah. lot um but green book winning i like i was saying it's the crash moment for a lot of reasons the and the biggest reason for me is that it won over better competition sure I mean, and what I said earlier was like it's the worst best picture winner probably in some time. That's subjective, of course. That's my it's opinion. That's not everybody's. I mean, I mean, if we're comparing Crash to Green Book, I take Green Book still. Green Book's, I would say, a better. Still movie a better movie. It's. In you can, I mean, like, like yeah. I think Crash is just way more. It takes itself way too seriously, and I think it's a little bit. Uh, 
over dramatic at points. And some of the acting in that movie is terrible. Like, um, I would say it's one of the worst Sandra Bullock movies. Like it's a coincident. I mean, I was talking with you earlier that it's coincidentally also a movie that's trying to comment about uh, racial prejudice, yeah. uh, as well, whether it be you know or um, you know racism against African Americans or racism against Hispanics or things like that. Um, but it coincidentally, Green Book is similar to that, where it's commenting on racism, but specifically racism during. Uh, you know, the civil rights movement in the South, the sixties in the South. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much to say about green book, but we've talked about it several times before, yeah, yeah. so we won't bemoan it, but that's the big, big surprise. I mean, um, everybody could the have movie. their opinion. Cause there's other movies that have come out since crash that I think were kind of like dopey winners. Like, right. Personally, I, I find the King speech to be a little bit dopey of a winner. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad movie either, but it's also no. that like, cliche oscar movie to win every time yeah know? and i know i know you're not a fan of the artist even though you said you i haven't still seen haven't it. seen it i haven't seen <laughs> it, I, haven't I, haven't seen it. Seen it. Um, I just think that it's funny that a movie that i just i it's i have to see the movie you gotta see it you gotta see it i gotta see but, it. yeah yeah i mean what a interesting ceremony i think they're probably gonna go hostless next year as well did, did, <laughs> didn't he did, i was gonna say didn't the, uh, the ratings go up this year the though? ratings actually surprisingly went up yeah after all of this, after all the all the things that the Academy wanted to do and then yeah. didn't do because they got so much crap for it, the ratings still ended up going up. So yeah. basically, Academy, stop trying to do whatever it is you wanted to do because it did, none of it really worked yeah. other than you getting the, the backlash, I guess. Yeah, they, um, they keep trying to make something that's not for everybody for everybody. Right, you know, and um, they can't. It's not yeah. you're not gonna. You can't make this for the whole generation. This new whole no. new. Ge- some people are going to be into the Oscars, and some people are not going to. Some they're it's not just going how to it be. is. I- I'll say and this. And though, the thing is, is their yeah, ratings are so high. Yeah, they act like it's like it's one of the highest watched things all year. But it they, really is. But but they make a big deal about it. Considering like people typically don't sit down to watch television at yeah. a specific time anymore, you better be happy with what you get. Yeah, but. The Oscars were also, I think, a surprising uh, venue and surprising moments of diversity within yeah. the ceremony. Diversity that people have been, you know, you know, kicking the Oscars for not having for years now. Remember yeah. Oscars so white a few years ago, but we had some fantastic diversity moments. Um, you know, Black Panther won three Oscars. Yeah, best um, uh, best costume, best production. No, Black Panther won two or three. Best costume, best production, and then it oh, won yeah. best score. Best score as well. Yeah, and yeah. it was the first uh, the first film in the MCU to win an Oscar. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. First one to win multiple Oscars. Yeah. And we had um, the great Ruthie Carter, who was a costume designer on the film, who did all of that great costume and the costume designing in the in the movie with the different you know Wakandan uh, cultures and all that kind of stuff. You had the great production design by I can't remember her first name, but her last name is. Beachler, and then you had uh, Ludwig Göransson, who you know he's he's actually um, a white guy if you didn't get it by that name, <laughs> but he he's been working with um, uh, Ryan Coogler since college. Yeah, they went yeah. to college together, and he's done the score for uh, both Creed movies. Um, you know, we talked about how much we love you know Rocky and Creed and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that one, Regina King won for If Beale Street Could Talk. That if was Beale kind Co- of a given. I think that was one of the she most won locked all, ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
She was fantastic. Her great, she had a great speech. Mahershala Ali won his second Oscar yep. for coincidentally Green Book. I think he's the best part of that movie is Mahershala Ali's performance, um, and he won for that. And I really, really, it, an interesting ceremony. But that Best Picture winner, I think, is going to leave people uh, scratching their heads. Um, I, I well, I mean, the, comment, other th- I think, the other thing is too well, is is the other the one award that Green Book got that I won't understand is Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That, that, I think the favorite should have gotten that one. Um, yeah, that's it, yeah. Green, Green Book doesn't have a, a, a fantastic screenplay. No, it really, it's pretty. It's, it's pretty. Of, it's pretty straightforward. It's um, straightforward, and that's one of the things about that movie is that everything is so surface levelly. You know what I mean? It is, and that, it is, and I think the actors give a lot to to the substance of the movie. There's yeah, but the way it approaches its subject matter, we've discussed it before, is it doesn't go deep enough. No, it, it doesn't. Just it doesn't like always go it, right it's a, below the surface, and it hits those usual those usual things we've seen in those types of movies. It's fluff. It's fluff yeah, compared it's to like, other movies that deal with the like same this subject. This idea yeah. that you know. If we were just friends, then, you know, racism wouldn't be would go away or something sure, like that. Sure. Or the idea that, you know, this, ter- you know, this absurdly racist person would all of a sudden be good if he just got to know the, a, a specific black person or something. You sure. Know, like, it's, that it's stuff def- is such easy. Like it's definitely fluff. Stuff. But but I think sometimes fluff is OK. And I think that sometimes we don't always want the deep and dark serious versions of these stories because we get them all the t- we get them all the time you know every that, i feel but, like every year we do get the dark movies you know yeah, and, I, and, and, we, and i think it's okay to have uh, shine a different light on the subject matter and it not always be clouded in hate you the know irony this movie is, decides to cloud it in more light yeah know? the irony is that that they gave out both screenplay Awards back to back, and Green Book won first, and then Black Klansman won second, and it yeah. couldn't be two different like versions of depicting <laughs> racism than than anything. It's kind of like you're you you're playing both sides here by like giving a, each one an award because yeah, you can't yeah. pick one. Um, very that, that's very interesting. You oh, know Peter me, for, I I, I yeah. think Blind Spotting should have been in here in the in oh, the awards yeah. this year. So Blind Spotting delved into the subject I think better than you know. Yeah, then probably you know, both we, of the movies. I, but. Barry Jenkins probably should have been nominated. Probably, yeah. I don't know. Was Peter Farrelly nominated for Best Director? Yeah. Me, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. He wasn't. He was out. He wasn't? Because it was yeah. McKay that got in that we think oh, he, should, he yeah. shouldn't have been. It should have been, been, been Barry Jenkins should have been Barry Jenkins. Over yeah. McKay. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Farrelly, coincidentally, is from my home state of Rhode Island. Uh-huh. He set a lot of movies up here in Rhode Island. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. There's Something About Mary. Um, he actually went to the same college that I graduated from. Uh, he was the class of '79. I was the class I like, of 2016. I like his, yeah, but, I like some of his movies, but he had the most annoying speech stuff the whole uh, night because he would read off them really long lists, right. and that was annoying. <laughs> some people had that. Also, like he didn't he sh- he didn't have the best speeches. He did thank you know Rhode Island in when he won the <laughs> Oscar, and he said he was going to do it. And everybody up here, you know, it's it's that thing where like sure, uh, there's a sense it, of pride. It, there's a sense of pride, but I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, part of me is like, oh, that's cool. The guy who went to the same college as me won an Oscar. But then I'm like, for that movie? Okay. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm trepidatious about what he won his Oscar for. Yeah. But that's just me personally. But It's interesting It's interesting to see, just think, you know, in general, like, you know, McKay, a com- ba- you know, basically a comedy director. And now it seems Peter Farley's getting into the drama game now. Um, right. And, and, and he, you know, it's, it's cool. You know. He typically was directing movies with his brother. 
you know, um, and they were, you know, the Farrelly brothers. Um, yeah. But okay, so we will transition now to. So over so uh, now overall, we I, I think I like the Oscars this year for the most part. In, in the sense been, of the show. Yeah, I guess before we transition, Stephen's going to mention that. Well, I was so, just going to say overall yeah. thought that, did you like the show? I did like the show. I thought it was going to be a complete and utter mess, and it had the potential to be a complete and utter mess, yeah. but it actually wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it, it ended up being more entertaining than I thought it would be. Right. Um. So, yeah. yeah. So now we can make our transition <laughs> away from this and move move into more cinema discovery type area. Kinda, uh, a little bit. Yeah, we'll get we'll get in our little machine. We'll punch in a few numbers <laughs> and we'll see where it takes us. I I almost like to think of it as like one of those cars from the Jetsons, the things where you sit in and the glass thing comes over. Yeah, and yeah, you fly yeah, around. Yeah. Um, kind of like the Willy Wonka like elevator. I, I you know, where it goes. Oh, the you glass, can fly. the glass elevator. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's like it's gonna break through the glass and they think they're gonna die. Is it gonna then... break? I don't know. Will we see? We'll see. <laughs> we'll find <Yeah>. out. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, but we're going to talk about something that I, was an idea that I had, and I brought it up to Steve, and he said, yeah, that sounds interesting. Let's let's talk about it. And this idea of movies that have gone on to be adapted into TV shows, yeah, because I think that uh, both the film world and the TV world have been kind of, you know, bouncing back and forth with each other now for several, several decades. Um, TV, of course, has been in people's homes pretty much since the 1950s and the 1960s. It initially was pretty much made to challenge, um, you know, the theatrical experience, as Steven Spielberg likes to call it. (laughs) And initially it did. We talked about in our episode before of, you know, the way Hollywood has tried to, you know, come up with different ways to entice people to go to the movies. Initially widescreen was instituted, you know, Panavision, CinemaScope, all that kind of stuff was instituted to combat the the popularity of TVs in people's homes. Why would people leave their house if they could stay home? Coincidentally, we're still having that same argument now (laughs) with streaming. Uh, So so I thought, hey, that's an interesting idea because TVs and TV shows and movies couldn't be more different when it comes to several different aspects. Um, TV and movies have been divided for so long in so many different ways that I think the lines are blurring now more than ever. And I thought it would be interesting for Stephen and I to discuss those things. Yeah. You know, I brought it up to Stephen uh, that there came, there was a time where I think most actors would either call themselves, you know, movie actors or TV actors. You know, actor, you know, being actors and actresses. I and. And you couldn't cross the two. Like, you know, if you were yeah. a TV, if you were a movie actor, doing TV was, I guess, was seen as kind of a step down I think in your people, career. I, and I think a lot of that was because of the amount of, you know, the money that could be put into movies right. versus TV. You know, if somebody would look at TV because budgets were usually a lot smaller. Is That was Very lesser. Small. Yeah, yeah. There was if a lot you, lesser and you wouldn't be able to do as much. Yeah, if you look at some of the old television series that are probably playing now on you know, TV land or, you know, back growing up in the 90s, Nick at Night. What's kind of odd now is a lot of the TV shows we were watching that were on, like, main network television are now on TV land. <laughs> a lot of sitcoms. Um, and it's very interesting going back and looking at all those shows. And you see they are, of course, really relatively low-budgeted compared to things they can do now. And, of course, that has to do with, you know, when these things were made, what they had access to when it came to technology and things like that. Yeah. And I've always mentioned that 
you know, CGI wasn't really a thing until the late 1970s and into the 80s. So everything before that, you had to build sets for, you know, those old Star Trek episodes, they, you know, they look like they were shot in a soundstage because they were shot in a soundstage with like, you know, you know, sets that weren't too elaborate or anything like that. And it's very interesting where you, where you see that there was a huge divide between what movies look like and what TV shows look like, and now the lines are blurring so oh, much. Yeah. You have large-budgeted television series that are getting made now more than ever before. Game of Thrones, which is ending its run relatively soon, is a massive, large-production show yeah. where it's like a movie-type production show. They're spending, yeah. you know... Over a hundred million dollars a year on a season on a, on ten episodes, mm-hmm. so it's like it's it's really a large amount, and they're filming also all over the world on location in places like Iceland and you know Malta and like some islands in you know yeah. off the coast of you know Scotland or wherever you know there's just so many exotic locations, and those things are you know, starting to become more commonplace. Um, there's going to be a Lord of the Rings television series that's coming that they're. Pr- you know, making right now, huge budget, you know, on that show, from what I've heard. From what I've heard, just from acquiring the rights from the Tolkien family and and, and putting the show into production, Amazon's going to be spending, like, probably half a billion dollars on this show. It's going to yeah. be bananas how much money they're spending for this. Yeah, and I mean, it, Lord a lot of the Rings of- was, you know big budgeted epic movie trilogy oh yeah and and you know a lot of i think what has changed especially for actors is that the the formatting of shows has changed dramatically to where shows are not going for 22 episode seasons anymore you know uh because of streaming uh and even some 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 premium channels networks like hbo they go for the no more than 12 episodes usually uh, yeah. You know, usually, sometimes eight is kind of been becoming the standard now, and that is more alluring to movie actors because they don't have to spend. You know, usually it's a limited series, something like uh, recently that Sharp Objects limited right. series with uh, you know Amy Adams, you know, big movie star. Um, she has to come in, do you know what eight you know eight hours of something, and then she's done. You know, and right, it, it's it you know it gives her a different audience to look at her. You know. Um, people that are not as watching, going to the theaters, watching movies as much can now see her on HBO doing this show for eight hours, you know, and it brings, it it, it broadens her appeal for them to then go see her movies. Also, a lot of material now is better with the long form of television than it is for the short form of movies. Um, there were like, like you just brought up shop objects. That's a book. So it was. It's easier to make to adapt. Not easier, but it's better to adapt that into you know an eight episode miniseries than it is you know a two hour movie. And for, you know having to squish all that down, yeah, all that material for, and down. For actors, is alluring because they can spend more time with their characters. You know they can yes. they can do a lot more and delve in a lot deeper with their characters. So that's that's something that you know that's always appealing for them too. So and when it comes to book series, popular book series specifically fantasy book series and comic books. Comic books now are gigantic, and there are so many comic book television series that are cropping up that probably, you know, 10, 20 years ago would only be looked at into adapting into a movie form than they would be into adapting into a television series. And that's why you get, 
kind of, you know, all of a lot of those early, you know, comic book movies don't look so favorably now because yeah. we've gotten kind of better versions of them on television. For example, The Punisher, you know, we've gotten we got one with Dolph Lundgren, we got one with Tom Jane and then Ray Stevenson. Uh, and now we've got a television series of The Punisher that works a lot better because comic books are a long form of storytelling. So they translate better into television than they do into movies. And it's not like you can't make movies out of them because they have, but now they've done, you know, TV shows. You know, Daredevil was another one. They made a Daredevil movie. Now they made a Daredevil TV series. Um, so comic books are kind of transitioning into that now. And the studios that are behind or own these properties can still make money off of them. Yeah. You know, maybe not the hundreds of millions of dollars they would make at a bo- at the box office, but still they're able to, you know, give the audience what they want, but also able to profit off of them in, in a specific way. And it's interesting that you bring up actors and actresses because a lot of prominent actors and actresses have worked on television. Or have gotten their start on television. Um, someone like Tom Hanks worked on yeah. a sitcom in the 80s. Bosom Buddies, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He was in that. And then, of course, he went on to do, you know, you know, comedies. Yeah, it's, comedy a, lot, movies, it's a lot more uh, traditional. It used to be a lot more traditional that you could build your career in, in TV right. and then move into movie acting. Um, and, that, yeah. and now it's now it's can kind of be, it's, like you said, it's kind of leveled now. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it was almost like, kind of not taboo but i would say you know you usually usually tv actors didn't go from tv to movies and then become superstars you yeah. know what i mean they could do both but they wouldn't really become superstars um someone, and also there might have been a little bit of an uh, a little bit of an animosity between studios too i mean depending on which i mean i, I know a lot of the the big movie studios owned some of these these obviously networks, these networks too yeah. for shows but you know, they don't want them to go. They don't want their big actors to go do TV because even for them, mm-hmm. they would think that that might hurt their their brand. image. You know, it could hurt their brand. Yeah. Um. Now that's not really the case. It's not now, the case. It's like we want your eyes as many people on you as possible. We do. Um. <laughs> someone like uh, just other prominent actors coming off the top of my head. Denzel Washington started out, uh, doing yeah. television. We also uh, did jo- stage work, so he knows yes, about you know. Yes. George Clooney. Long form, George yeah. Clooney was on ER. People remember that. Um, there are more. The, more, more recently, you've had got like Ewan McGregor did Fargo. You know. Uh, well, that's coming. Yeah, that's going from someone who was predominantly on. Yeah. In the movie realm to, to come down and do television. Julia Roberts did just did a television series. Well, she did an Amazon series, and um, so that was kind of what, a first Nicole for her. Kidman and uh, Meryl Streep are on that one show right now, right? Oh, yes. Big, Big Little, Little Lies. Lies. Yeah. And Meryl Streep was actually someone who I didn't think. I was like, Meryl Streep, she didn't do television. And then <laughs> I went and looked at her filmography, and yes, she did. She was in several miniseries. Yeah. She was in um, Angels in America, which is that, that miniseries that was a play that got adapted to a miniseries on HBO. She was in that, and she was in some other stuff as well. Uh, but um, someone like Helen Mirren, I knew, was on television uh, in the Bruce, UK. Bruce Willis start out on TV, too? Yes, he, he did. Do, What's that yeah. show? Moonlighting or something? Yeah, Moonlighting. Like that. I think that's what it was. That's yeah. where he. Yeah, he started as like a TV actor, and then when he got um, cast for Die Hard, people didn't think he would, you know, do yeah. well because you know he's at the this time it was show. the muscly dudes that were the action stars, the really muscular. Well, yeah, Arnold and Arnold Stallone. and Stallone, and yeah, 
who I, I don't think either of them has coincidentally done television. Uh, <laughs> actually... Unless you count his porn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Creamer, yeah, Arnold. Arnold has always been larger than life. Yeah, he's, so I guess that's he's been why too, he's he was too TV. big for TV. Yeah, literally, I guess, literally too big for TV. They couldn't fit him on the TV. screen. <laughs> um, recently, uh, Anthony Hopkins has done television with Westworld. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is an actor who does both. I think he's always yeah. really done both. James Franco uh, did did stuff on General Hospital. Yeah, well, he was also in Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> yeah, he was on Freaks he and Geeks out on TV. Yeah, look at that cast: Freaks and Geeks, uh, Seth Rogen, Jason Jay- Siegel, um, Jason Siegel, um, Danny McBride. Danny, no, he wasn't no, wait, no, he was. I'm sorry, Seth Rogen's who I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seth Rogen, yeah, Seth Rogen, uh, Rogen but yeah. he, that. That but Danny, Mc, Danny McBride's as one too. I mean, Eastbound. Well, he and down. did Eastbound and Down. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where he got his his exposure from. But you have someone, uh, Linda Cardellini, who was kind of the lead of Freaks and Geeks. She, yeah, yeah. She was just in Green Book, coincidentally. She still can't get freaking better. She needs better roles. Well, she she's, was she's, in. Uh, she's too uh, good. She's actually a great. She's a great yeah. actress who doesn't get great roles. She was in. Uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron as Hawkeye's wife. Oh wow, remember. that's a huge role. Yeah, for her. she had nothing wow. to do, but yes, uh, Sam Levine was in was in that show as well. Yeah, um, you had yeah, that's a. I mean, one of your I, this is a kind of a cross for you, Stephen. Uh, Bussy Phillips, who was in that show, was oh. in Dawson's Creek. Dawson's, yeah, Dawson's the late, Creek. The, the later yeah. seasons of Dawson's Creek. She oh played yes, James Vanderbeek. If only his he, career could have taken off. I'll tell you the beak. <laughs> Of his career may not have taken off, but he looks fantastic. He hasn't yeah, aged yeah, really yeah. at all since. Joshua Austin's Jackson Creek. had a little bit of a career. I mean, Katie Holmes still pops jo- up in something. Yeah, Joshua Jackson though he started out in uh, the Mighty Ducks. So he started out in movies. Yeah, he started out in movies, did, went to TV, and has kind of done a few hit shows. You know, he's done. He does Broadway, I think, as well. He's a Broadway oh, actor does he? as well. Cool. Katie Holmes' career kind of, but that's we're getting. She keeps uh, trying to do something, and nobody. You know, likes her. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, I, I mean, mean, they literally replaced her. She was in know. Batman Begins. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we're getting off on a Dawson's Creek tangent. I know, we right? Go, sorry, we can't sorry, go down, sorry. We can't go down with that. To that. That's a rabbit that hole that uh, we will do a whole series of episodes <laughs> on one day. No, I know. Where's our? Yeah, where's the? That's Dawson's TV. Creek? We don't need to yeah. talk about that. We are, we are, that's Cinema TV. Discovery Project. I know. Let, let's let's shift away from that because I also want to mention that. We have a movies that were adapted into TV shows, um, but we also have something that I think is fascinating and interesting and something that I think is happening a lot more now or hopefully does, and that is you're taking the TV show material and you're creating uh, sequels and prequels in the form of television series, yeah. which are fascinating to me because that's how we can continue on some of the movies that we really, really like, but I guess maybe weren't as popular enough to make another sequel yeah. or make a third film or whatever. Or, you know, so we're able to continue on the stories via that. And there have been a lot of them, more than I actually ever thought there were. <laughs> I if There is a whole list of them, and some of them we know and some of them I have never heard of. Um, I think one that's prominent and one that speaks to both Steven and I is Ash vs. Evil Dead, yes. which was yeah. recently abruptly canceled, cruelly, um, because it was going to continue on and be awesome. But yeah. people remember from the Sam Raimi Evil Dead series of movies where you know we did get a trilogy of films and we didn't really get anything for what, like 30, not 30 years, like 19. About 25 years. 25 or so, years or so. Like that. 
and then we get Ash vs. Evil Dead. And what was really cool about that, which doesn't really happen a lot, is you get your lead actor back who was actually from the movies. Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't happen because the actor has either the actor or actress has either moved on or they don't want to come back or sometimes unfortunately they pass away so yeah. you can't have them back you know because they're not with us anymore but you've um, gotten so many different ones there's um, also more recently run. um uh Bates Motel yes kind of, I was going to mention Bates Motel yeah, which yeah. is weird to me because it's technically a prequel series we yeah. have a young Norman Bates with Norma Bates uh, portrayed by Freddie Highmore and yeah. um, Vera Farmiga. Vera, yeah. A lot of a lot of stuff, weird stuff going on in there. But <laughs> it's a prequel series because you know it's a young Norman Bates, but it's also set in modern times. So yeah. it's not really a prequel, but it is. And it's it like isn't. a spiritual prequel. Yeah, yeah, it's really really weird. I think that's actually a fascinating. It's a readaptation pre- prequel. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting to see what Norman, like a young Norman Bates, would be like. You know, in our modern you could have you could have made setting. it a period piece, but it would have probably upped the budget. You know, to do yeah, that. yeah. You know? and they had certain period piece touches to it, like Norma Bates drove like a VW Beetle. Bug it's like the movie was out of time a little bit. Like it didn't right. matter what time it was in. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that does make a lot of sense. And and um, something that I actually forget, and I think a lot of people don't know this, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah is technically a sequel series to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie yeah. that happened in the early 1990s. Then didn't it get a spin-off show? Uh, yeah, Angel. Angel, which, yeah. Which I really love. Um, and there's also been others, like I said, that I wasn't aware of. For example, Stephen, were you aware that there was not one, but two, you know, live-action sequel series? They weren't sequel, they were actually prequel series to Casablanca. What? One, one in 1955 and one in 1983. No. And apparently they were events that took place before the film. So, like... Dude, what? Well, now we now we have to buy them and watch... <laughs> yeah, is that available on DVD? Who really knows? <laughs> Who really knows? Yeah, no, no, no. I remember growing up, there was a... Uh, a Back to the Future animated series that I that is now fortunately j- just become available on DVD and it basically take place after the events of Back to the Future Part 3 where yeah. it's basically Christopher Lloyd uh, and his wife who who was portrayed by Mary Steenburgen in the movie you know where it's them raising their like three kids who you see at the end of you know Back to the Future 3 um yeah. there was there was a lot of animated like sequel and prequel series that are popping that are popping up on this list I'm looking at. Yeah, For example, yeah. the Beetlejuice animated series uh was that which is actually how I um was introduced into Beetlejuice was through the animated series. I think is a sequel series or something like that. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, basically. Lydia was, it... Lydia was the main character in it. That's why the movie when I watched the movie for the first time as a kid it confused me because in the animated series Beetlejuice isn't a bad guy. He just yeah. kind of like Lydia's wacky friend who takes her on crazy adventures. But in the movie, he's the villain. Yeah, uh, it really kind of you know threw me for a loop. Um, um, for um, another series of From Dusk Till Dawn was a movie. Robert Rodriguez's yeah. movie um, was turned into a series. Highlander, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> kind of guilty pleasures, was turned into a TV series. Um, <laughs> they did one uh, for Zombieland recently. They did. We talked and it about it. It I didn't think. last at all. <laughs> and the pilot was just so not good that they didn't get picked up. <laughs> just didn't get picked up. 
Um, and that was one where they had to recast everybody, and it just didn't work. Also, Sometimes um, that doesn't work. Also, um, a series of unfortunate events um, is is kind of a readaptation slash. Yeah. You know, it is. Yeah, it is yeah. a readaptation of the movie with Jim Carrey. But then they continue the story. Yeah, you know, they, they yeah. yeah, they they adapt they're pretty much adapting like every single storyline from the books yeah. into the T V series. Um Man, there are just so many here. Like, what about shrunk, um what about um, one kids? of your shows, uh, Legion is a spin off show right within the X Men universe, right? It kind of is. Yeah, because it it does deal with mutants, so you could say it is, and I'm pretty sure there's re- yeah there's reference to like professor x and yeah and stuff like that because legion the character of legion is professor x's son yeah. so spoiler there if you didn't if you hopped up on it <laughs> oh man um i don't know if you watched this when you were a kid but i watched it um there was an aladdin animated series yeah that was set between the return of jafar and the third movie yeah and i watched that as a kid there was an All Dogs Go to Heaven animated series that took place after the events of All Dogs Go to Heaven. They've done too. a lot of and like they did, an, a lot they did an Ace Ventura animated series. They did. Where's our <laughs> complete series box set of that? Damn it! Oh come on! Now there was of course didn't they do a, a didn't they do a mask also? Yes, there was a mask animated. Series. There was a Men in Black animated series. Yeah, yeah. Um, Minority Report apparently had a live action series. I remember that. That was a few years ago. It kind of crashed and burned. After like the, its first season, like it didn't last yeah. past one season, but you know there's another Steven Spielberg connection right there. Um, there was a Mummy animated series. Uh, man, they also they, um, they did no, a, never mind. They didn't Napoleon do a show Dynamite. They did a Clerks animated series. Um, <laughs> the Pink Panther series that I grew up with was actually in an adaptation, or it was kind of like a kind of like a sequel series yeah. to the Pink Panther movies. I mean, it had the same characters in it. Now you got to follow a, the story. Get, get Smart was, well, that's the other way around. It was yeah, a, I think it was the other way around. It was around. a show, and then it was a movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's There was a Spaceballs. Uh, there was Spaceballs. Uh, Star, uh, Stargate was actually, remember that movie, with the Roland Emmerich movie was turned yeah, yeah. into Stargate show, SG-1, yeah. which then had like a spinoff of Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe. Man, they they kind of really milked that, milked that franchise forever. Um, so getting to getting yeah, to man. Uh, getting to like I mean we could go on forever. Yeah, there's I mean so there's many big ones. I mean there's there's Terminator, there's Tron. Yeah, there was a Training Day series. There's a Lethal Weapon series that I think is still <laughs> on the air. It's the, yeah. It I is. mean they they did a Rush Hour series which that lasted last. one season. Yeah. Um, but all of those kind of like adaptations and they, they my but one thing I do want to mention and I have to mention because it's my favorite TV series of all time. And that is Friday Night Lights, yeah, which yeah. was a movie based on a book that that you know would turn into a TV series. Is my favorite show of all time. But there's a lot of a lot of them here, like, and they go back decades. This isn't yeah. a recent phenomenon. They go back, like I like I was saying about the Casablanca one, which was like in the fifties. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. It's kind of it's just, just one of them. Th- I mean, uh, it's, I, it's overwhelming how much it's, are here. It's, it is. I mean, I think just because of the this has kind of become the golden age of TV. Yes. Um, you know, that it's just ramped up even more. That's, where... that's another thing that has happened is that a lot of these series that I've mentioned, a lot of them from the past, weren't even during a time where television is as prominent as it is now. Yeah. 
like now is the time where you know things are really kicking into fu- high gear. What's funny is is I think there's probably even examples of stuff that started out as TV shows and then they made a successful movie and now they're remaking the TV show. <laughs> there's probably even some examples of that. Like I could see them one day redoing the Mission Impossible show. Like, yeah, because there's a it's obviously a successful franchise of movies now, but it started out as a TV show. And then I could see them coming back to it and like being like, oh, and oh, example, Twilight, Twilight Zone is coming back as a show. What's crazy. You mentioned that there was a Twilight Zone series. Yeah. Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. Twilight Zone series. That was actually another series. Twilight Zone's been done a bunch of times. Yeah. There was a series, the original series, there was the movie. And then there was another series in the early 2000s that they did, and now there's a new series again. Yeah, it's really, really. It's, it's all about it's all. We, it, it's what it comes back to is the IP. You know, if they think that they can use that brand, that name to sell something, they're going to try it again. Well, think about it. it. Um, what are the two biggest sci-fi franchises of all time? Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah, and they're both playing in both realms prominently. Uh, right now, Star well, they're about Wars, to. Get, it's a Star Wars is about to get bigger. So. Star Wars is just really starting to get into that realm, and it's probably going to blow the doors off. Probably, you know, even more so because people haven't seen a live action Star Wars series, yeah, ever. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of. Was there? You don't, anything? You don't count the Christmas special? Ah, uh, Christ, no. <laughs> no, I can't <laughs> say I do. There's a, but I'm thinking of like there was an animated series of droids. And then there was those two TV movies, uh, the the Ewok movies. Weren't those TV movies? Uh, uh, I think so. We don't yeah. have to remember. Anywho, that's yeah. that's either here nor there. Let's but I'm just saying, this. like Star Wars is getting into the live action game. Yeah. Star Wars has been in the animated series game for a while now, and Star Trek, as we all know, started out as a TV series, was a series of movies, then it had a bunch of other TV series, had some had more movies when it yeah. came to like the next generation movies, then had the J.J. Abrams movies as well as other series in there. Now yeah. it's got another series and now they're trying to do another, they're, they're trying to do another Star Trek movie, but who really knows? So that's something where we get into these big franchises that are multimedia franchises where they're trying to make as much content as they can in both the movies and the TV realm and that's where you know there's a cross-pollination between the two because i think you're getting a lot of people who are working on the movies then are also working on the television series as well it's not necessarily the actors though because i don't know how that's going to work uh if that ever does work we are getting like a cassian andor series tv series and he was an actor and a and uh he was an actor and a character in the movies so we're getting his series um the MCU is starting to do that now, yeah. where co- where they're trying to launch live action series based on characters from their movies. Loki, uh, uh, there's gonna be a Loki series as well as um, Fal- I think it's, isn't Loki and Falcon, and then like Scar- Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch and Vision are getting a series, yeah. and so you're seeing like where movies are starting to branch out. It's almost it's TV. almost like TV is becoming almost the the great sidekick to movies where you can really expound on on your movie characters by using TV as a as a conduit to do that, you know, like very it's, much so. It's it, very it's much also, complimentary. Very it's complimentary. also like they've done everything they can when it comes to movies. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Oh, we have television. And not only do we have television, 
we have it's not like television back in the day in a way televisions become almost like the way you release movies where you release it all at once you know you don't you don't do week by week as much anymore unless you're not only that but i mean kind of bringing you know the podcast here full circle to a certain extent streaming is making all of these things possible now yeah the av- since that this avenue of streaming and digital media is opening up and is keep and is keeping opening up to the masses and people are actually gravitating towards it now is when you're starting to get a lot of the movies you know stuff from the movies being adapted into tv shows because they don't have to go through this this old sense of things where okay you have you have to be this amount of episodes, you have to have this amount of budget. Yeah. You you're going to be, you know, you can only sell it to this amount of networks, or you're or you're screwed. And now there's a lot more avenues, and the streaming has kind of opened that up. So that's another benefit to streaming is we're getting Definitely. more of what we like if you do like those things. Now, unfortunately, that could lead to probably negative things. Perhaps you know, I hate to use this term, but you know a bastardization of the things you like. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, well, yeah, we're already getting it with Star Wars a little bit. You know, like, there's this, are, yeah, I mean, there is, there is a, an oversaturation of stuff, you know. Not only that, but like, there's a difference between movie quality and TV show quality. I know I mentioned how closer it's getting, yeah. but there's, you can still tell what's a TV show versus what's a sure. movie. I mean, there's an obviously different aesthetic to both. So, for some people who are used to seeing something in just one way, the movie way, yeah, maybe they'll be disappointed with the way it looks Might on television. Might not be translated as well. It yeah. won't be translated as well, but you kind of have to realize that there are two different mediums. There's yeah. certain things you can do with one that you can't do with the other and vice versa. The storytelling is definitely different. That's and, The storytelling is where you can make up that ground. Yeah. Is with that long-form storytelling, you can make it just as good or if not better than what a movie could do. Sure, and it just takes you know. Hopefully, good writers are behind the things that you're. That's where it's yeah. key. With TV, TV is all about the writers, like that's the key. Um, the writers, the showrunners, the producers; yeah. those people are the. They're the heart of, thing. of TV. It's very honestly. interesting how in TV production, the directors aren't really that important to they're a certain not. extent. <laughs> or they are, uh, but they, but they're not as noticed. You don't hear about the directors of TV. It, as it much. all it all depends on what it is. If it's yeah. a short form short form miniseries or anthology series like a True Detective, then I think the director is more prominent. But if you have a long form series that's like 22, 23 episodes a series. That thing is such a well-oiled machine that the director almost doesn't really do much. For example, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith, and Kevin Smith has worked on several of the CW DC superhero shows, Supergirl, yeah. Flash, um, that he, he basically has said, like, these things are such well-oiled machines that I kind of, you know just stand there and, pr- and say action. Yeah, like there was just, one time he was telling the, a story. You just figure out the shot you want and they get it done for yeah, you. Yeah, it's like it's, the it's... people working with you know the show much better than you do. Yeah. So they do all the heavy work and you're just kind of there. You, you just know, have some doing... creative influence. You're a cheerleader. cheerleader. You, you basically, <laughs> yeah, you don't have that much creative influence because you can't go in there and like change everything. Sure, like, you sure, can't sure. Make, you can't make it look completely different than the other, you know, 10 episodes before it. So he, he had stories where he's like, yeah, so one time I just let them do their thing and I went out and I just bought like burgers and fries for everybody there because like <laughs> they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they knew what it's they were doing instead of me. It's a good paycheck for him, man. I mean, he's, yeah. you know. But, um, uh, 
yeah, I mean, we could go on forever about this, man. We but could. it's there's a lot of interesting things that is happening with the the trans, you know, between TV and film, and and I'm I'm interested to see what else they decide to maybe adapt one day, and and you know, it's a lot of a lot of movies that there's maybe even some movies that maybe weren't that great that might do better as TV series, and maybe we'll that yeah. there's probably examples of that too that would be great, you know. Um, I mean, something. I mean, everybody keeps bringing up. I mean, something like a Flash Gordon TV series would be pretty cool. Might I be mean, pretty they, cool they, now that they, it's, we got the technology. You you could probably handle yeah, that. You know? Now that it's not like the '80s and you're limited by that. I mean, I know there were like serial versions of Flash Gordon and things like that back in the day. I don't know why I bring up Flash Gordon. I think just because well, you know, it's a well, sci-fi thing that. With better a good, technology and storytelling. A good example is maybe the the new Avatar: Last Airbender that they're doing for Netflix was a terrible oh, yeah. film. Oh, terrible yeah. film, but they're about to do do it again live action on Netflix. So hopefully, hopefully that'll be, be cool. better. <laughs> hopefully uh, yeah, be hopefully better. be better. I mean, but, um, it, there are other you know uh, media that you can use that you can not you can bypass television and bring to yeah. the television form. Um, video games specifically, I think, are one are a big one. But yeah. that's a whole different discussion for a different time. Yeah, but um, close. Yeah, closing this out. You know, I think that there's a lot of e- even further discussions we could have. You know, another day. Yeah, th- about there's this. like the the list goes on and on in terms yeah, of yeah, different but, shows you can discuss. But and, there's a, there's some cool crossover there, and and you know, it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger as the streaming services get more bloated, and we'll, we'll see a lot more of this stuff. I think. Um, I think we will. I th- yeah. It, it, it's already overwhelming now, and it's just expanding. Yeah. But that's going to end our episode this week. Um, where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings, or you can find you can find the audio for this podcast on YouTube, also on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Podbean, and that will be it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and... Hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will.